I want to keep making projects and and even if it's not perfect, I want to put it out there. And I think that's that's part of something that that Asians in general in our culture we need to get a grasp on because we're always striving for perfection. And I think that's to our detriment because I think you can put something out and then learn from your mistakes and then in the next project it'll be better. Welcome back listeners to another episode of the Strong Asian Lead podcast. I want to thank everybody so much for staying tuned in to our episodes and uh, just listening to our conversations. I think it's been a really great year and and having this podcast continually pushed out. Uh, I can't thank enough my team for working on that. Um, but before we get into today's episode with Sujata Day, I just want to give some quick updates and um, some just thanks. You know, Strong Asian Lead has been going on for a little over a year now, probably almost about a year, almost a year and a half. And we're, it's just been a crazy wild ride. And, you know, I couldn't do a lot of this without everybody's help, everybody's support, uh, the listeners on Instagram, everybody just kind of saying that we're doing a great job. And I, I appreciate that. I always have like an imposter syndrome that I'm not doing the best job or what I can do. But, you know, we're all working hard and I really thank everybody for their, for just the encouragement of what we're doing, because I do think it's somewhat necessary but I would like to give all you listeners a special little uh, kind of a sneak peek of what we're going to work with next. So we've always been something, I feel like Strong Areas has always been a complex idea. We know what we're doing, but we're not, there's not a mission statement that's like, oh, it's just all encompassing. Because I feel like every time I write a mission statement, it's like 20 different things. And so, um, you know, we always want to be networking. We want to be doing uh, community resources. We want to be doing podcasting and clubhouse and this and this and this. And it's just been so much. So it, it's, it, but it's been a, a great ride. So we're going to keep continuing Strong Asian Lane because the mission still stands. But with every great mission, there needs to be a shakeup. It needs to be continuing to grow and do more and believe in things. And so kind of here at first on this podcast, I've been kind of like tattering around in Twitter but we will be bringing you a new platform, a new a new mission, a new theme, a new a new. Uh, I don't know what I don't want. I want to tell you everything about it, but we're a couple like a month, maybe two months away from doing this. So we're gonna do a little bit of rebranding, uh, a little bit of uh, just connected with this new program. So you know, I hope what I've always found the most difficult part about being Asian filmmaking is um, finding other Asians around to work with and to and to be with to communicate with uh to network and do things so we're gonna start bringing you and every other listeners and open up a platform where everybody can start to i don't know intermingle we'll be launching in a few months uh i have to i have to have my meeting today to actually start building it but we, i found some great people um we start i had this idea you know the idea of the whole thing has been kind of mumbling in my brain for a while and how to involve strong Asian lead with it, but it actually just sent it's a whole new thing. So for now, I have to keep it under wraps because I, I want to make sure I do it right. But if you've been following us for a while, you might have seen a little preview at some point in our past year. But yeah, I'm really excited for this project. I've been kind of out of focus for the past week or so, trying to figure out like what are we gonna do? What are we gonna build? What's strong Asian lead? What's the what's the new thing that's gonna keep us like rolling and, and growing and doing something right for the community? So we will be just keep stay tuned stay on instagram our twitters you know if we have your email in our newsletter we'll be emailing out people pretty soon uh and those we will have like a special um a special launch for new people to 
to get this sink their teeth in and kind of check it out before we go fully public. So uh, please keep in touch about that. Uh, I do. I'm really excited for that to roll out uh, along with a new podcast episodes. Obviously, we're going to keep this podcast going. There's a new uh, trend for it, not a new trend for it, um, but there's there's a need for it. And and people really um, I really appreciate the conversations I've had with everybody. And I have we have a list and roster of people coming up on our, our next couple of weeks in the interviews. And um, I'm looking forward to speaking with all of them. So. You know, we're not asking for much. We're not actually not asking for anything at this point. I kind of just want people to keep listening in. We're going to keep doing this. Uh, I'm putting in my time. My team's putting in their time on top of all of our other jobs. You know, I don't know if anybody knows. And we'll do a podcast episode later on about me. I actually I haven't talked about myself very often. People don't actually know a lot about, about a lot about me unless they know me personally. But I will, we will have some sort of uh, introductory podcast for myself because i think <laughs> i think people want to kind of hear my side um of, of the industry and i want to share it uh i don't want i don't want to be self-serving that's why i don't do a podcast about me myself and i uh, i want to help other people bring out but i think people need to know who i am before they start to like who is this guy doing the thing but yeah but i did just get a manager for my screen my screenwriting that was signed a couple weeks ago i've been in the middle of doing feedback rewrites. Uh, I'm looking at my script in a whole new light. And I think it's just, I'm like, whoa, it looks really cool now. So I'm excited for somebody to actually champion my script, work forward, uh, start to pitch it out and do that. And I know I have to do my own work and I'm, I've been doing it for the past couple of years. And so this is um, really exciting for me. So, but in any case, uh, I would like to get onto today's episode with Sujata Day. And Sujata is such an amazing person. Not only did she just so super talented. If you look at her IMDb pro page, she's got, she's been working for years on some of the shows I've seen before. Even when I was a kid, you know, she was, she was working, she was doing the thing. Not only is Sujata just an incredible person to talk with, but she's super talented in so many different facets. And I, what I love about multi-hyphenate people is that they've got so many balls up in the air, just juggling and doing more, but you know, she's, she's nailing. I love it. You may have seen Sujata on something like Insecure or Misadventures of an Awkward Black Girl and back in the day, but uh, now she's got a new movie that she just directed, wrote, and starred in, which is called Definition, Please. Uh, it's not currently out to watch right away, but when it does come out, I would love to for you to watch it. It's such an inspiring movie just to see not only was it so well-written, uh, well-acted, and put together such a good, great story but because she played so many parts in the making of this film and, and working on it and, and doing uh, all the all the producing and putting it together and calling out her friends, I think that in itself is an amazing story to see independent filmmakers make their movies. Like not only is she also working on a new series and um, with other people and things that are getting picked up, but to see an actor or anybody who wants to tell stories take the reins, do it themselves, and then publish it and get it produced and get awards and, and make it on screeners, I think it's so incredible. It just speaks to people's tenacity and uh, resilience against the industry to do what they want. And what I love about this film, too, is it was that there was so much great proper representation and storytelling by people who um, experienced it. So, And with that being said, let, let's get into the interview. So stick around to the end, and thank you so much for listening. Here's our interview with Sujata Day. Well, Sujata, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and thank you for reaching out and, you know, you shared with me your, your movie of definition, please. And I just, I immediately watched it just like, this is, this is cool. I want to, I want to see what you're doing. And, um, 
you know, you're, you've do, they've gone so, so much. You're an actor, writer, director, producer, singer, like <laughs> what aren't you doing? Um, but I would love for you to introduce yourself, uh, where you're calling from, where your hometown is and a little bit of your background career. Yeah, I'm Sujata Day. I am right now in Studio City in Los Angeles, and I'm from Greensburg, Pennsylvania, which is a town about uh, over an hour east of Pittsburgh. And yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. Like you said, I, I do I wear all the hats. I do all the things. Yeah, and, and tell us a little bit about your your background career. I know you've done. Um, uh, acting and acting for uh, many years. I think your IMDb says like 2003. I even noticed you had a, a episode of Seventh Heaven, <laughs> and like that was one of my shows as the family uh, that we used to watch. And I'm like, oh, which episode was that? Yeah, I forget exactly which episode, but I was a girl, like a student at the school, and we were. I believe it was Black History Month, so we were giving very little speeches about. Um, you know, famous folks in throughout Black history. Um, so pretty excited to be a part of that episode. That was pretty cool. And that was one of those jobs when my parents had come out to LA and my dad had come to the audition with me. And after I booked it, he was like, see, I'm your good luck charm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been acting e even before that. I started doing plays and musicals in middle school and high school, and I really love them. I did Guys and Dolls and Showboat and Into the Woods and um, more musicals. And it was just so fun and so addictive. And at the same time, I was actually really good at math and science. <laughs> So, so when I was looking at colleges, I was like, oh, what should I do? And so, so I actually got my engineering degree at Case Western University. But at the same time, once again, I was always doing plays and musicals at the school. And then I studied abroad in Australia. And that's where I really started to focus on my acting and my writing and it all started to come together. And I told myself after I graduate, I'm going to move to LA and it's going to be super fun. And then I came back to Case and I took a semester of screenwriting, a semester of playwriting and moved to LA just to, you know, do it, you know, give it a shot. And ever since then, you know, I've been doing parts in TV shows and movies and um, then I did Awkward Black Girl, and that was the project that changed my life. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like you've had both a left brain, left brain, right brain, a uh, good mixture of uh, having just being all around awesome. <laughs> yeah, I really, I really like having kind of both sides of the brain working because I don't regret getting my engineering degree. I believe the way that engineering taught me to think has really helped my writing in terms of structure and how to take notes and being very organized. And a lot of my characters have maybe scientific backgrounds and, and I use a lot of it in my work. So I think it's really fun to kind of dip into that part of myself in my creativity. Yeah. 
Now, you, you spoke about your parents and your parents came, uh, coming out to support you. Have they always been supportive in, in both your acting career and your uh, academic career? Yeah, they've been supportive on both sides. You know, when I was doing plays and musicals throughout school, they were always in the front row every single night of the show and would bring me flowers. And so they really appreciated movies and television and art in general. So that was always awesome to be able to have their support. And and they were always excited about my writing as well. So, you know, I would get published in like the school magazine or the literary magazine and, you know, they would show everybody and they would, you know, show all their friends, which was really nice because all their friends were generally like, oh, my daughter's a doctor. My daughter's a You know, know, all the kind of usual Asian stuff. And, um, but my parents were pretty proud about what I was doing too. That's awesome. And I think that's a, I don't know if it's rare. I think it's definitely not a stereotype that Asians, Asian parents would be so proud of everybody for their creative careers. But I think that's, it's so lovely to hear that. Now you're, I saw from your Wikipedia page that your, your family's from India, right? Yes. My, my parents are from Calcutta. Calcutta. And, and, you know, about that identity from Cal- Calcutta, you know, have you, ha- have you been able to, I don't know, what's your relationship with that identity and being Indian American, um, Calcutta and uh, descendants in general, you know, has that influenced your, your, your writing and your, your storytelling and has it changed over the years? Oh yeah, definitely. I'm pretty proud to be Bengali, which is what people from Calcutta are. And and I speak fluent Bengali. And also Bengalis are known to be the artists and the poets of India. And you can ask any Indian, they'll back me up on this. Um, And so we have, we have Rabindranath Tagore, we have Satyajit Ray, whose films are incredible. Um, And he also won an honorary Oscar so he's been internationally recognized. And so uh, something about Satyajit Ray's movies that have inspired me is that he really, he really deviated from, you know, the hot Bollywood properties and genre and just con- focused on everyday people living their everyday lives and mostly women, actually. And so when I watch his films, First, it's like really fun because I don't have to watch this. I don't have to read the subtitles. (laughs) And second, I just love what he does to focus on just everyday people living their lives and being with their families and dealing with, you know, little family dramas as opposed to, you know, Bollywood stuff where everyone dies or people get poisoned or dance sequences, which, which are good in its own, you know, it has its like definite positives. I love Bollywood movies, but I think I really, really connected to Satyajit Ray's films. And, and I just really love being Bengali. Like I said, I, with the script of definition, please. One of the biggest compliments I got was from one of our actors, Parvish China, who plays the, um, Patel brothers manager. He's really funny. And, and I've known him for a while and he read the script and he was like, I learned so much about Bengali culture. 
<laughs> so to have a fellow Indian kind of give me that compliment, I was like, oh, cool. That's awesome. So so I always try to be pretty specific in in the culture that I'm writing about, because at the end of the day, you know, I would love to see a, a Gujarati specific movie. I would love to see a Punjabi specific movie, a South Indian specific movie, because there's so many nuances and traditions to those regions that that I would love to see that on film. And I think sometimes what happens in Western media is that we all get categorized as as Indians and and then it, it gets a little general. So so I really like to focus on the specific. Right. I think there's so many different regions of India that I don't know and I'm still learning and I meet people from different places and I'm like Tell me about, you know, the culture. Tell me about the food. What's different? What, uh, you know, what do you, are you known for? You just said Beng, um, Bengali people are for like artistic. I'm like, wow, never, never would have thought about that or heard about that. So I think that's a really important aspect to showing that cultures are not the same. Like they're not just one giant India. I think it's amazing. And, and, and what power do you find your identity in? Like using that, um, being a part of your community. I mean, I think that's, that's for me, being Japanese American, you know, I find power in, in knowing my history, knowing my people. And then, like you just said, like teaching other people about your own culture that they're a part of as well. And like, well, I'm, I'm, I am teaching uh, even and sharing um, that culture, even with my own community. Like, what do you find um, the most power in being Bengali? Yeah, I'm really happy that I am fluent in the language, actually. So my parents did not speak English. Like one of their rules was we don't speak English in the home. So even when I was a baby, they were speaking Bengali to me and they kind of just figured that we would learn English at school. So I went to preschool and I didn't know English, but it was totally fine. And yes, I picked up English at school and it was great. And And one of the best things about knowing my language was that I was able to connect with my grandparents. And that was the biggest thing. And just being able to speak to my grandma who's really cool and just awesome. And having an amazing connection with her was the best part about being fluent in the language and just being able to connect with the rest of my family in India as well. And I mean, to be honest, I speak Bengali with a Valley Girl accent, so my cousins all make fun of me. But, but at least you know I can understand it, and I can you know carry on good conversations. And, um, and also the more I s- kind of watch Bengali films or Bengali television, I just pick up more and more, which is always fun. That's cool. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful to have. Like your language um, kept within the family and passed down. You know, I think that's where we lose a lot of this assimilation to American culture is that, you know, the language gets lost and we can't t- talk to our grandparents and then they don't pass down the stories and we don't hear about them. And then it's just like, well, I didn't, it's just a language barrier. So that's great that you're, you've been able to keep that within your, your family. And hopefully and you will do that to your, your children. If you, if you decide, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I believe that I don't want them speaking Bengali with a Valley Girl accent. <laughs> so hopefully my parents would kind of step in and and teach them good Bengali. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Well, I'd love to talk about your, your movie, um, Definition, please. 
you know, I watched watched it. I was enthralled with the whole thing. You know, I I really felt for this story, and um, you know, it was really well done. And I think that's it's a good storytelling for a lot of different different ways. But I'd love for you to um, tell me. I'll I'll give well I'd love to hear you introduce the story a little bit to the audience who hasn't watched it yet or haven't seen it yet and tell us a little about the story and then we'll, we'll get into it. Yeah, yeah, of course. I I the premise was you know, I I won my fourth grade spelling bee and then I went on to regionals and lost in the first round on the word radish which was pretty devastating because it's an easy word. And I spelled it with two Ds instead of one. And I always remember that moment. And I noticed even after that, I would kind of tweet out sometimes, hey, I spelled radish wrong in my spelling bee. And then people would be responding and saying, oh, this is the word that I spelled wrong. And I was like, oh, this is a thing. Like People remember the word that got them out in the spelling bee. And then in 2015, I was in a UCB Upright Citizens Brigade sketch writing class. And one of my sketches was titled, Where Are They Now? Spelling Bee Winners. Because um, I think we all noticed that almost every year the spelling bee winners were Indian American kids. And so the button to my sketch was um, most of these spelling bee kids champions are doing really great things they're working at nasa they're designing robots they're winning the world poker tour and just the button of my sketch was that one of them uh turns out to be living in her mom's basement and not doing much and not living up to her potential and then in 2016 i did the sundance screenwriting lab in 2017, went to Sundance Film Festival for the first time and saw my friend Justin Chan's film Gook there, which was premiering. And I was blown away by his film. And I kind of cornered him at the after party and I asked him how he got it made. And he was like, I just, you know, asked my friends and family for money and I just did it. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, that's totally what I'm going to do. So then in 2017, mid-2017, started writing the feature film version of Definition Please. Went through rewrites and notes throughout the next year or so. And then got to, went to Sundance again in 2019. And and Justin's next movie, Ms. Purple, was playing there. And, and I just said to myself, what am I doing with my time? <laughs> I promised myself I would make this. So then then and there, I was like, I'm going to make this movie this year. It's going to be June of 2019. That's when we start shooting. And then something serendipitous happened, which actually a lot of serendipitous things happened throughout the course of production. Um, but this was the first thing where once I made that decision at Sundance, I got an email telling me that I had previously sold a show to a studio and because there was a big merger, they were returning the show back to me. And along with returning the rights of the show back to me, they were also sending a huge check. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be the first investor into my movie. And so that's where it all began. And um, then after that, I just went into kind of pre-production mode, got my crew together, started texting my friends to be in the movie. And 
you know, knew that I was going to shoot it back home in Greensburg. And, and then we shot it in June and, and here we are. Yeah. And you made it before COVID really shut everything down, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause we made it in June of 2019. So we were able to get into post-production and, and we had finished it before COVID hit. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that story. I know that's a I'm sure you repeat that story many times in different other places, but I think it's really great to hear the context and the growth of that project going from an idea from a personal place to hearing uh, from Justin Chan and just like doing it, right? Doing it yourself. Um, I see some of the episodes and shows that you've done as a secondary character, but to, to take on that responsibility and take on that, this whole uh, project for yourself, for yourself is so, so amazing. So powerful. You know, what was your experience like writing, producing, directing, starring in your own film? Like that's one job. <laughs> one job is enough. But to do like three, four jobs all at the same time, it can be stressful. It can be time consuming. It can just really eat away at a lot of things. How was your experience in your emotional level doing all that at the same time? Yeah. So, you know, I I made sure to have practice before I did a feature. So in 2016, I did a short film called Cowboy and Indian that I also wrote, produced, directed, and starred in. And that was obviously on a much, much smaller level. And and I wrote the scripts and then I got the cast and crew together and I paid for it myself. And, and, and I really gave myself permission on that film to have it fail <laughs> to have it come out just really terrible and and I was like you know what this is my first short it, it'll probably be really bad but you know it's it's just I, I was just losing my money nobody else is gonna be mad at me about it so so then once I finished Cowboy and Indian and it turned out pretty good I was like oh I'm happy with it I saw it it was great yeah, yeah. So it turned out pretty good. And then and then that's actually a piece of work that I sold to get um, made into a TV series. And it also did really well on the Asian American Film Festival circuit. And that's where I discovered, you know, the Asian American Film Festival circuit, which is so great. And, you know, LA Asian Film Festival and CamFest. And we just did Austin Asian American Film Festival at our first drive-in screening. And and basically every place that played Cowboy and Indian, I just kind of, after I finished Definition Please, I just reached out to all the same people like, hey, you have me for a short. Would you take a look at Definition Please? And they were, they were all really open to, to that, which was awesome. So once I had done Cowboy and Indian, a lot of people were asking me like, oh, what's your next short? What are you going to do? And I was like, short? I'm going to do a feature. <laughs> um, so so that Cowboy and Indian gave me the confidence to do the feature in pretty much the same way. And um, yeah, that's why, you know, there were all the different hats. But I think in terms of taking on all those responsibilities you have to, you know, be really organized and have good time management. So once the script was set as the shooting script, I didn't touch it. So, so then I could like take off my writer hat and be like, okay, that's done, you know? And then, 
And then when we went, got into pre-production, obviously kind of, we, you have to be producing the whole time. Um, but you have to gather like a really amazing team around you and you have to trust them to do what they do really well. And so that's what I did. Had a great producer and Cameron Fife had a great DP and Brooks Ludwig, where we had a lot of movie dates and we were watching stuff and be like, Oh, this shot or like this feeling. Um, because I knew that when I was on set, I wouldn't have time to, uh, look at the scenes after they were shot because we just, you know, we're just not going to have time for that. So I had to really trust my DP in terms of what he was getting. And, and he super understood what I wanted and what I was going for. And, and then really trust my actors. So, you know, I did not have auditions. I pretty much just texted my friends and people I knew. And luckily, we really do have this really supportive Indian American community in Hollywood and we all, you know, have each other's backs. And and if I didn't know someone, someone I know did, and they would connect me to them. And so then that was kind of my director, producer brain working together. And then once, uh, oh, also with the writing, I made sure that my character didn't have the emotional acting challenges that that Tesh's character has because I was like I'm gonna be doing so many things that I don't want to really have to stress about that (laughs) so so I just made sure that my character was kind of reacting to stuff that was happening to her um and that that was all part of kind of the master plan and um, yeah, and then once we got to directing, I just tried to kind of emulate like some of my favorite directors. A lot of them were from Insecure, like Tina Mabry and Debbie Allen, and just emulated them and try to do my best. And yeah, and it was really fun. And even with the post-production, that's when you still keep your director producer hat on. And that was pretty amazing too, because... Even at the start of the shoot, Brooks, my DP, was like, oh, we should get we should get eFilm slash company three to do the post-production. And then I looked them up and they're like working on the next like three Avatar movies. And I was like, we can't afford <laughs> we can't afford eFilm. But then when my friend Dino put out our deadline announcement, eFilm called us. Oh and wow. I was, I was like, what? <laughs> What's going on? And still, even like when they took us out to a couple lunches, I was like, listen, like we can't afford you. I don't know why you're like whining and dining us. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 no. We have a special program and this and that. So so that was really cool. And then um my producer Cameron's brother does sound design at Skywalker Ranch. So we got to do sound design up in San Francisco. And that was really amazing as well, because I got to sit in George Lucas's seat in the Stag Theater and like watch the final sound cut of my movie. And um, actually, the projectionist was it was an Asian guy. And then when we came back to kind of talk to him, he had tears in his eyes. And I was like, whoa, I because that was the first time someone outside of the film had watched the movie and I was just like, I, 
I maybe we have something special here. So that was really cool. Oh, what a visceral reaction, you know, and just to see that, uh, that response. Yeah. I think you did a, I think it was so smart to do your short film, get that practice in, uh, learn, learn the mistakes. It's on your own money, which is, you know, it's scary, but at the same time, you know, you're going to watch your own money. You're not spending somebody else's money, not spending it unwisely. You're looking at it and then finding all the stuff that you said, I wish I'd done that better. And you jumped into your feature film, which is a huge jump. You know, even that scares me <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's not normal. I recommend people doing like more shorts. Before <laughs> 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 yeah. But I think that's, that's, uh, but you did it so well. Like you look at it, it's, it's doing, um, you know, it's winning awards, right. And, and going all the fest through the whole festival circuit and you're making people cry. It's, that's, uh, that's the dream. I think mean, like, that's part of the dream. What were some of your biggest challenges making this, either during pre-production, funding it, or post? Uh, what were some of the biggest challenges? I mean, funding is always such a challenge. Um, but I, I tried to come really prepared in terms of reaching out to investors and talking to investors. I had a, I had many documents for them, which they all asked for. So it's the, there were like six PDFs that I sent if anyone was interested in putting money in the movie and it was the script, the, the budget, the, an investor lookbook, the films lookbook, uh, lawyer contracts and, and probably something else, but I, I don't know what that is, <laughs> but, but there was just like a lot of packets of info for whoever wanted to, um, possibly put money into the film. And I think what helped actually is that I had put a huge chunk of money into the film and they were like, oh, well, she's not trying to lose her money, you know, <laughs> which is true. And um, so that that really gave them the confidence to be like, okay, yeah, here's, here's a bit of money and, um, you know, good luck. <laughs> So, so that was, that was pretty stressful because even, even on set, we, I would come off of, you know, shooting 12 hour days and then I would have to get on the phone with an investor and be like, make sure that the money is being transferred into the account or else, you know, shooting would be affected. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And then another challenge was, you know, it's, it's an indie production. We were losing locations. <laughs> like while we were filming. So there was one evening when we were shooting um, at my house and I get a text from my producer saying like, hey, we lost the bar location for the next day. And I'm like, ah, and I'm acting in the scene, I'm directing it. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't, you know, freak out the cast and the crew that were, you know, trying to do the scene at that moment. So then in between takes, I would go into another room and I texted my friend in Pittsburgh asking if he knew anyone with a bar in Greensburg. And then he connected me to his friend. And then I started texting with his friend that owned the bar. Then I connected him to the producer and then the producer went to go see the location. And then the problem was solved and we got the bar. 
man, it's those <laughs> onset changes. You're just like, oh, I got to deal with this now. <laughs> and, and on- yeah, yeah. But I think, I think the trick is to make sure that you're the only one who's dealing with the problem and you're not letting it affect uh, the rest of the production around you. So nobody else knew that there was like a huge issue <laughs> happening and and we definitely tried to keep it from everyone but but at the end of the day I think this is also where my engineer brain kicked in where engineers are problem solvers so I was just like okay I can't stress about this I just have to solve this problem so how do I go about doing that and that's what I did so great it's it's that's that director mind, that producer mind. It's like, well, you can't, it, we can't just not let it be unsolved. We have to do it. So just get it done. I want to talk about the one scene in, in the grocery store uh, in, in definition, please. And for anybody is listening, it's not a huge spoiler, but you guys talk about the, the thumbs up soda. And I heard this in the other, one of the other interviews too. And I think it was so important to talk about as this is a, like a set design prop piece that it's real. It's a real thing. And uh, speaks so much to Indian and Bengali culture, just as just, it's not even like the biggest thing. And, and, but like a visceral, you know, childhood memory type of type of piece. Was that something that was written in the script? Was that something that was uh, improv? Because I think this is so important to just adding those small bits of culture into our films and our storytelling, even if it's not a part of the storytelling or the part, the story to tell, but as just a little piece that someone who is not a part of that culture just wouldn't put in, wouldn't even think about it, wouldn't have. So, you know, what do you think about having something like that? And, you know, was this an active choice? Was this something that you did? I would love to hear your, your thoughts on this. Yeah, this was written into the script. <laughs> there was virtually no improv in the film. Everything was scripted. Even the the talent show, a lot of people think is, you know, the show for the mom. A lot of people think that's uh, improvised, but it's not. It's all written into the script. And with especially the thumbs up and also the masala lace chips, I know that we as Indian Americans, you know, children of immigrants, when we all kind of go back to India to visit our families, like that's the kind of stuff that we would eat. And that's the kind of stuff when I'm back in America, I would miss. And I'd be like, oh my God, thumbs up. Like we were always told it's like four times more caffeine than Pepsi or Coke. And, and it's wild. And, you know, like you drink it and then you feel like you are just like, awake for like four hours and then you crash (laughs) but it's like it's like every kid's favorite indian drink and i was like oh well i gotta put it in the movie and and same thing with masala lays chips um one of my great uncles would always we called him uh candy uncle because he would always have snacks for us whether it's a bag of masala lays chips or some kind of fun indian hard candy. Um, so that kind of reminds me of my family as well. And, and we have, you know, you would also know is that Asians have a lot of connection to their food, you know, so that is a way of bringing people together. And, you know, you're always sharing recipes. And um, so it was important for me to put those 
touches into the film because I was like, this is what I grew up with. You know, we grew up drinking Thumbs Up and Masala Lace Chips. And and I was in another interview with, um, or a Q&A panel with a Pakistani American, and she named a soda that they grew up drinking. And I was like, oh my gosh, I would love to see that in a movie. I've never heard of that soda, you know, but Thumbs Up made her think, of her soda from her childhood. So I think that's the beauty of being specific and, you know, telling these stories because it'll make you think of something in your life that you can connect it to. hundred percent. You know, this past couple of years, I've really grown into my, my Japanese American identity and all the childhood snacks that my dad would give us, my grandma would give us, but like, you know, somewhere in between like middle school, high school, college, I didn't have those snacks. Like it was just gone. It was, I think it was part of like an assimilation, just American culture, just and not being in an Asian restaurant, uh, Asian grocery store area. So like w- recently I've been going to more uh, Asian restaurants and stores and picking up the snacks. And it's like, oh, this is childhood. This is different. This is what I've missed. And I think that's something that uh food and culture not only is that food into um into other cultures as we often say is like this is the first step into someone else's culture but in a remembrance is that sensory sensory memory that we get that really brings in something that's really true and true to our cultures i think that's really um really important especially even in these films because these films are a, a depiction of reality and when we have these characters who live real lives we that's what their memories are i think that's really important yeah we're going to take a quick break from my interview and have a little psa and a little chat down when i was younger the biggest thing that i went to school for was filmmaking but it was also sometimes hard to find other filmmakers to work with and i had to create my own projects i might need to crew up i sometimes if i was uh, wanting to be on another set it was hard to find people but I always really appreciated advice from other other filmmakers in the industry and doing things who are older, even a few years older, even just one year older, just like who got out of college and still making films. It's always really super helpful. I really appreciate those friends. But if you're a filmmaker now, whether you're in college or you're someone who's a little more seasoned, you know, working with college students and students, college students working with other experienced people is really important. I think it's a great way to build community and to gain experience and just work with other people who are interested in helping. So one of the biggest things here at Strong Asian Leads, I love helping new college students who are getting out of school, who are, are just, who want to get her invested into working in this industry, who want to build their career in this industry. And I think it's so great that they have such uh, good tenacity. And, you know, when, they're, when college students are getting out of school, and especially right now in this, this time, I think we're just about to get out of, into summer break. It's so great to see other filmmakers bring up and lift up other new writers. And so I actually take a lot of phone calls with college students who just want to know what's the best direction to go, how to build their career, how to build their brand, all of that. So, you know, this is for everybody to go on. If you're a college student, you know, college student, please reach out to somebody who who might need help. You know, go to the Facebook groups, find a thing, you know, stay in tune with us and we'll, we'll connect you with other people who are doing work and who might need some a PA. You just need some help. You just want to be on set, right? I think that's the best thing to start and uh, get advice and taking that advice. You know, some people are a little jaded. Even sometimes I, my advice comes off a little super strong and maybe a little arrogant. But 
you know, sometimes I, all I want to do is share the advice that I can do and say like, Hey, this is, this is the way to kind of get in the industry. Um, I'm working on my, my tone, <laughs> but you know, sometimes you just need some advice something to hear about a, a term terminology or just the protocols of being on set. And if you're an older filmmaker who has some experience and you're wanting to do a, uh, a quick project, you're doing something already, you know, please reach out to the campuses, reach out to this, the film student unions, whatever you're working with, because, you know, they need the help too. What I loved about uh, some of these schools I've worked, they're, they're eager to work with the projects and will do, you know, will go far. And, and think that's what shows me really strong work ethic. So again, it's a little longer PSA than, uh, you know, normal break ad, but help each other. That's the thing. And, and, you know, we just need to keep starting to build our, build our people and work on projects because we want to learn. With that being said, let's go back to our interview. So um, moving on from definition, please, I want to get to a little, a little deeper here. You know, there's been many short films, uh, feature films, TV shows, you know, even some um, web series like uh, Issa Rae's Misadventures of an Awkward Black Girl and Insecure. But when I look at your Insta- uh, IMDb page, there's endless roles of uh, various um, characters, mostly secondary characters, one-offs, maybe a few episodes here and there. You know, in your opinion and experience, is it normal for an actor of color to be cast in so many secondary roles before being cast into a leading role? Let alone, I feel like, I don't know how many features you were in as the lead, but it seems like the one that you made yourself, you become the lead. I think that's just like, you had to do it yourself to make that happen. Is that something you find that's so often? I feel like it's a normal thing, but what's your experience been like? Yeah, yeah, I believe it's a normal thing. And something that I I think about and bring up a lot is that, you know, one of my favorite inspiring movies um, was Bend It Like Beckham. Because when I watched it, I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, I can be an actor and and be the lead. And, you know, and, and it's a writer director that's that's Indian. How cool. Um, but I always bring this up because like afterwards, like what happened to the lead? So what happened to Parmender Nagra and what happened to Kira Knightley? And I feel like that's a normal thing that happens. So yes, we have to do so much more um, to be seen as a lead actor because so many times we are auditioning for the best friend or auditioning for stereotypical roles um as a doctor or a techie or an engineer and and there's not a lot of nuance to our characters and that's something that me and a lot of my actor creator friends talk about and the only way to change that is to create your own work and that's certainly what Issa Rae did with Awkward Black Girl because she saw stereotypes of black women in the media and she was like wait I'm not like any of these women and and then she was like I want to make Awkward Black Girl and and it really resonated because the the audience was there for it and um Hollywood was just not aware And so just being a part of Issa Rae's journey from ABG to Insecure and seeing all of that completely inspired me. And there was no other choice but to create my own work um, instead of just waiting for that audition or waiting for that phone call. 
and waiting for someone else to say yes. And and I always say I I said yes to myself. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's that is what's happening. We have to. No one's taking a chance or believing in us to do it, so we have to do it. Which we're gonna do it because I feel like we we have the drive, the the passion, and the need for it. But if someone else is gonna do it, we're gonna take up that responsibility. And when I say normal, it's the what normally goes on, but it shouldn't be that way, right? It shouldn't have to be that we are we're fighting so hard, so hard for these things. And, and you're right, what did happen to that actor? What does happen to people who have really great roles but then never get nothing more unless they do it themselves? I don't think that's fair. Yeah, it's definitely not fair. And and hopefully, you know, we'll we're seeing some change right now. So Yeah, well, especially with creators like yourself, we're definitely seeing change that people are still making it and then, you know, people are investing more. I think that's great. I also think that something that's cool is that we were all very quiet before and now folks aren't afraid to call out things that are detrimental to, you know, our culture or, you know, just the, the representation. And that's a really big deal. And and I'm thankful that people are starting to call things out. Yeah, I'm very thankful for like Twitter and Facebook that people are gathering and organizing for that kind of stuff, really calling it out. Because I feel like that's, you know, in the past couple of decades, this is, you know, Twitter and Facebook are generally still new. And I know actors have been at, uh, fighting for this for years, but to have the public go thousands and thousands sign up or call them out. And I'm on this, um, that uh, James Corden uh, show, uh, Spill Your Guts, did a whole thing on Asian food and they're making fun of it. And so that we're actually going to go protest tomorrow at the Grove. And, um, but without the internet, you know, who would, who would know about that unless you know somebody? I think that's what's, that's what our change is. You know, we're able to do that. Talking about more of your roles, how often are your roles uh, that you perform are geared towards your South Asian identity rather than, I don't know, something that's quote unquote ethnically ambiguous or they don't, that don't want to talk about it. Have you been able to find roles and audition for roles that are uh, Bengali or South Asian that you really related to, or have there always been something that's just not? I think um, I've, I've been half and half in terms of Indian American roles versus ethnically ambiguous or, or ethnically open to just, to just whomever. And I I don't think that I've ever actually auditioned for anything specifically Bengali, which would be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but but most of the stuff it's over the past five years or so um, generally has a stereotypical element to it, which which is not necessarily like a bad stereotype, but it's just like oh, this is all we're seeing. So so something for example, is arranged marriage, right? So so we're seeing that a lot in the plot lines. And I'm like, wait, that's very strange because yeah, maybe our parents had arranged marriages, but they're not forcing our generation to do that. And and so that's what I feel is really complicated because even even my cousin, whose parents are super traditional and strict, they're not even mm-hmm telling my cousin to have an arranged marriage <laughs> so then i'm just like why is this a thing <laughs> but 
But yeah, I, I believe I've definitely booked, you know, I did an independent film called Blowing Up Right Now. And, and that was super, you know, they were just looking for a woman of color for the lead role. And um, what was interesting is when I met with the director, he sat me down and he was like, yeah, we, we reached out to the agencies and we said, we want a woman of color for this lead role. And they still sent um, white women for the role. So they, so they got like 90% white actresses. And I was like, okay, well, that's part of the issue. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> part of the issue is that these big agencies are not representing enough women of color for the role. So, so it all starts at that kind of executive level. It starts at the manager level, the agent level, the who is greenlighting shows and movies at the studios or even the smaller production companies. Um, they don't look like us. So that's a problem. And so sometimes, you know, when we're talking about things like Oscar so white and Emmy so white, I'm like, well, that's the end of the road, you know? So the, the, the real problem lies in like, why, why aren't there actors being seen for films that could actually be open ethnicity and don't have to be, um, white. And so, and like creators and writers and why can't they push through these projects of color? It's just really, really hard. I've there was one pilot season. I think it was a pilot season, like right after crazy rich Asians where we were all excited because there were like five different Asian American projects at the broadcast networks and none of them got picked up. And so that's, that's part of the issue. Yeah. No. And what you said about agents and managers, uh, especially for actors, like who gets to go out for those roles, right. And who's being pushed to the studios. Even if you have the studios have, you know, the say what their call is for casting. If the agents and managers are over pushing their white clients, or there's just not enough managers who think you can go out for the role or um, just, aren't pushing hard enough for doing that. I think that's, that's a huge part of the problem, but I also find that with the, the writers, right? The writers are the ones who tell the stories. So if you don't have the writers have agents and managers who are vouching for those stories, who are working and pushing them towards the studios and, and getting the studios to understand why the story is important, why and how the story will sell and why it's important not to whitewash this cast and why not a white person to write this story that then we're not getting the stories even to the managers or to the studios to even think about casting right it all starts with those people oh yeah the writer's room the writer's room is a whole other ball game where you know people of color writers don't progress up the levels as quickly as their white counterparts. And um, a lot of the time, their point of view is, is not seen as important. And so we have a kind of a missing pipeline of high level writers in these writers room who are people of color because the showrunners or the producers don't want to do the extra work of looking beyond the agency system for great writers, which is something that 
Issa Rae had to do for her insecure writer's room because she wasn't getting, you know, enough. Uh, once again, that same thing of like, oh, these agents and managers were not repping writers of color. And so she had to kind of, you know, call her friends and be like, hey, do you know anyone who has an original pilot that I can read? And that's how she she did the extra work to fill her writer's room with the right people. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that extra work. No, I think that's uh, super valid. Not only does it, it takes that little extra effort of work, but what I also think is interesting to think about is that definitely just generally white people in general, they want to think about this whole, we can't ask about diversity. We can't ask about, because if we ask about race and ethnicity, it's like discrimination. But then we, if we don't ask about it, we're not going to get the stories that we need. And we're not going to get, you know, people asking for, we need a certain person. I think that's this same dichotomy of if casting can say, can you be more Asian, be more black, be more urban, speak with more accent, which is totally against the law in any other context, that if they get to do that, then we should start also thinking about what are we doing about when we're asking for certain types of writers, when we're asking for certain types of people to storytell, and who are we bringing up? I want to read off a, a few few stats because we just kind of brought it up. One of the things that we found in our studies is the diversity hire slot, right? So that there's always the diversity hire in this writer's room, which they might be the only diverse person in there, which is not great. But it said 46.2% of the people of diverse uh, slot hires are not being asked or promoted for subsequent seasons. 22% of them said they were told we are over budget. Uh, 22% said we're going in a different direction, uh, didn't feel was the right fit. And 60% said they did not believe the reasons that they were being given were not being asked to be promoted. They didn't believe them, right? That's like, that's just not true. And uh, 49% said they had to repeat staff, staff writer at least once. 15% more likely than under, overrepresented writers. 55% people calling the industry had to repeat staff writer. 20% had to repeat it two to three times. And 16% said of all underrepresented writers had to repeat staff more than two thirds. So that's a little more, but there's just so many times that just not moving forward, not moving up, not becoming a story editor, showrunner, all those things. And that's a huge part of the problem. I love that you brought those receipts yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, well, because yeah, this is, this is a huge problem. And, and this is a problem where, there are only a handful of people of color that are at the, you know, the supervising producer, the co-producer, those high level writer level EP, co-EP, and and they're constantly being they're actually too busy, you know, to like be a showrunner on your show or whatever. So then so then your show never goes because you didn't get like a you know, a name EP, but there aren't enough name EPs for your show. So it's, it's all like a really bad cycle that we need to get out of. And, and definitely the diversity higher element of it is, is not great. And um, yeah, changes need to be made. And I think changes are being made, but, but it's, but it's going way too slow. Yeah. And when people feel like they're being discriminated against or, just on just having so many microaggressions or uh, general f- feelings against them, it's it becomes leads to burnout, which then they don't want to come back. They just like this is exhausting to do more. One more stat is fifty eight percent reported other types of harassment and bullying 
and 39% underrepresented writers witnessed uh, the erasure and or stereotyping of underrepresented characters. It's like, this just, that shouldn't happen. And that's exhausting. It's exhausting. And I totally understand when people quit the industry because it's, it's like, is it worth the fight for your mental health and for your sanity? And generally it's not. No, no. Yeah. And then they never move up because we don't have enough. It's just numbers. Now you've talked about in another uh, deadline article is that you're building your own table because no, obviously no one else is doing it. It's a broken system, right? So when you're building your table, what does that table look like? And as a woman of color or and a South Asian woman, what what is that specific table you're looking at that isn't just diversity table, right? I think that's that's a that's very general in that way. Is there something specific that you're looking for and that you're building? Yeah, something I definitely started that with definition, please, and just being able to reach out to, you know, the Indian Americans, my community in Hollywood to help me make my film. And they were all excited to do it. And so that was kind of the start of it. And I was like, oh, this is cool. This is this is all working. And and even now, um, there are other South Asian filmmakers that reach out to me like just last week i got a text message saying hey who was your first ad did you love him and then i was like yeah so so for me to be able to refer someone that i worked with that was awesome to another south asian filmmaker feels really good and that's that's part of building the table it's it's not being competitive with other south asian filmmakers or actors or writers and just allowing us all to succeed because we're all telling very different stories. And, and another thing that I do is, is I'll like follow writers on Twitter, like especially South Asian female writers on Twitter that are funny. And, and I'm like, Ooh, I'm like making my list for my writer's room. You know? <laughs> and, and I say that I have like binders full of like women of color that can be in writer's rooms because I, I do get text messages from showrunners like, Hey, do you have, this kind of writer that I'm looking for, for my room that, that my show is going, you know, and then I'm, I'm able to send them writers and samples, like, like 10 to 12 of them for whatever show that they're doing, whether it's a comedy or drama, um, or sci-fi, something in between. And so I'm really proud of just paying it forward. And, you know, a lot of the time I can be in meetings and, and they'll like kind of pitch me a project and I'll be like, you know what? I'm not great for that project, but I know someone who is. <laughs> so I'm always happy to re- refer someone else to something that that I think would be great for them, but not necessarily right for me. And that's what I think uh, the whole concept of building the table is, is just sharing the wealth. And once you get through that door, pulling other people along with you. Yeah, we're not... Uh... We're definitely not at that place where there can only be one, right? They can definitely, everybody can share this big sea of Hollywood that we're in, that we can uh, uplift each other. And sometimes a project doesn't work for us or isn't the right place. Yeah. And, and bringing other, keeping your contacts, keeping them, keeping them around, knowing who the players are as well in your community. Because when someone does ask, you're going to want to know who that person is and you want to refer them. And I think even though it's like, I don't know, I feel like it's a little bit of a, again, a representation burnout of like, well, you asking me only because I'm South Asian or Asian, like, 
like, yeah, they are. Because who else are they going to ask? But at the same time, we have that responsibility to say, yeah, I, I want to be that person for you so that I can help my friends and help you get help better storytelling. It's part of the responsibility, right? which is uh, it's a good and bad thing, <laughs> I think. Yeah. You also talked earlier, talked about just uh, meeting with Justin Chong, uh, asking uh, Chong and asking about his guerrilla style filmmaking and how he did it. You know, what about that spirit of doing it yourself, uh, building your building your table, building your own films? What that got you to make your project and really believe in that, believe in that for yourself? Yeah, you know, I've always been kind of surrounded by people who just do it on their own. So, so Issa Rae is one of them. Matthew Cherry, I was in his film Nine Rides that went to South by Southwest a couple of years ago. And once again, that was a project that he just did it himself. And, and then Justin Chan, of course, like he just did it on his own. And then another friend of mine, Tanuj Chopra, also just kind of makes films and puts them out and continues to make more films. And so that's the kind of energy that that I strive to have, which is, yeah, I want to keep making projects. I, I don't want to be stuck on development on something for 10 years. <laughs> that's that's not, you know, what I want to do. I want to keep making projects. And and even if it's not perfect. I want to put it out there. And I think that's that's part of something that that Asians in general in our culture we need to get a grasp on because we're always striving for perfection and I think that's to our detriment because I think you can put something out and then learn from your mistakes and then the, in the next project it'll be better and that's something that I did with, you know, Cowboy and Indian. I put out a web series before Cowboy and three episodes of Larry and Lucy that no one ever saw. So, so I was like, okay, so I'm going to learn from this experience and do better the next time. And, and I did for every project just gets better and better. And, and I always want to have more than one project that I'm working on at the same time, which is something that Justin also does. And you just never want to put all your eggs in one basket because you never know what's going to you know, move forward more quickly. So, so I highly recommend people to, I know everyone usually has their one passion project, but then develop other stuff at the same time as well. Cause you never know what will pique the interest of an investor or um, someone to help you. And, and it could be this, the second or the third thing. And then you can always go back to your passion project later. Mm, that's honestly really great advice. I'm, I'm in that situation now where they're like, well, I really want that second one. I'm like, okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll wait. No, that's great advice. Uh, in our last few minutes here, um, what, in, what advice would you have for other uh, emerging Asian American creatives in their, in their careers? I would say just go out there and create. There's so many places where you can put your work and you know ig videos there's still youtube there's tiktok and and i would just say in any way possible stay creative and be positive and put out your story and your story is very important your specific story and and i want to see it and just you know just do it just create that's the that's the only advice i can really give and and don't worry about per perfection allow yourself to fail yeah fail. 
uh, failing upwards, right? We want to keep doing that. Just keep failing. And, uh, you know, I said no, uh, there's another acronym for fail, but I know for no is next opportunity, right? Just keep going. Just keep, keep building and, uh, learning. I think that's, that's the best thing we can do, especially when we're, we're starting out, just learn because we don't know anything. <laughs> and you know, what's, what's next for you? What's next for Shujata? I have a lot of projects in the pipeline. I wrote a bunch of scripts over the pandemic, uh, wrote a feature, wrote a treatment for another feature, wrote like two pilots. Um, I do have a show in development at a studio, like I said, loosely based on Cowboy and Indian. And so that's that's been moving really quickly and awesome. And yeah, I'm just continuing to tell all the stories that I want to tell that haven't been told before. A woman of many talents and so much going on. It's uh, it's, it's encouraging to see. So thank you. Thank you for your your work, your dedication, your your storytelling. And, you know, and I'm looking forward to see how your where your career goes over the next years. I think it's it's so great that you've already built that up. I know it's been a long time coming, but we're here now. I think that's here. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much, David. This was really fun. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And where can audiences watch your work and where can they find your social media handles? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's at Sujata Day. And then Definition Please also has its own Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Definition Please. And then the Twitter is D-E-F-N-P-L-E-A-S-E. I really had to think about spelling that. And I was like, oh, no, that's, that's, that's not really good advertising for my Spelling Bee premise movie. <laughs> Or it's the perfect one, right? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> That's so great. And you can also watch uh, in, uh, Cowboy and Indian on your website, right? I think that's where I saw yeah, it. Yeah, it's on my website. And there's also fun videos. I think you mentioned my a diverse film video that I shot with Tesh, and we're both singing, and I wrote the kind of hilarious lyrics to that. So you can check that out on my website, too. Yeah, for the audience, it's a uh, great rearranging the lyrics of uh, Aladdin, um, a whole new world for a whole a diverse cast. And I think it's, it was hilarious. So thank you for that. <laughs> of course. Of course. All right. Well, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today and reaching out. Uh, I uh, look forward to speaking with you again. Thanks, David. Thanks again so much to Sajada for interviewing on our podcast. And Thank you for reaching out to us. Like that's the thing for us is that we're not trying to exclude anybody on the podcast or do anything. We have a, we do have a long roster, but you know, if you reach out to us and you have something to show, you have something to promote on the show, we we would love to do that uh, in timely manners if it's something that you want to be posted on, you know, a certain day cuz you got a new movie coming out or you got something kind of we're in the process. We would love to talk to you. Uh, if you've got a different perspective that we've already haven't covered on the podcast, we'd love to talk to you about that too. You know, we have so many people and partners that we would love to just uh, get different different aspects of it, being Asian in the industry, being a mixed kid myself, uh, mixed Japanese American and white. You know, we haven't had any too many mixed uh, mixed kids on here. We had Ryan last week, but we you know we need more perspectives. Uh, South Asians, uh, Southwest Asians, Central Asians. Who who are you? Tell us more. We want to have more conversations about these. I know we have a couple of uh, great projects in the works. Uh, some people who have reached out to us and said, "Hey, I got this project coming on," and they. 
we've got, we looked at the projects and I think it's super dope. And so there's so much good that's going on in the industry that some people don't even know about, whether it's somebody, a project that somebody's making or uh, a new platform, a new, um, I don't know, these, all these little faucets within the, within the Asian American entertainment industry that people are building. And it's really cool to see who's building what, and then seeing it grow as the process every week, there's something new and it's, it's, it's coming into this great realm of Asian American entertainment. So I'm super excited about where the industry is going. And I really hope you are too, because I think like there's so much that we can be proud of and that we can be watching and going forward. So uh, again, there's like so much movies coming out right now, but there's also a lot of independent movies that are in the works. And I think that's uh, really cool to see. So thanks again for tuning into the Strong Asian Lead podcast. Again, stay tuned for the next updates on uh, what we're doing in the future. Um, really excited. I, I really excited. Like I'm, I, I've lost focus of everything in my life because I'm so excited about this project that we're working on. And um, I hope to release it out to you soon, but we want to do it right. We don't want to do it fast. We want to do it right. So stay tuned for that. Uh, In any case, I hope you all have a wonderful week. Stay tuned next week for our episode with Henry Ong. Everyone runs their own race at their own pace. It's not a competition. We sometimes we get so stuck up at comparing ourselves to others, right? Oh, we're the same age, but they did so many great things. And what I tell them is, You know, you may not have made the same life decisions as they did. You may have not met the same people that they did. So that may have led to open different doors, but you have your own race to run. And it's about focusing on yourself and what you want to do. And that's our show for the week. Thanks again for tuning in. And you know what? I don't do a lot of self-promotion, but I'm going to do some right now. If you like the podcast, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. I know I think that helps the algorithm. People move it up. I'm not too worried about it. I think it's really important that just I just make it and people do it. But what helps uh, the community find the episodes and find more podcasts and you know get it more legitimacy is that people put some ratings on it. So I would love for you to take the time to do that. So head over to your Apple Podcasts the episode if you're in the app. You can just like hit the hit the stars. Give us an honest rating. I'm not going to tell you what to hit five stars or anything, but you know go ahead and and, and give us a rating. Uh, tell us how we're doing and would love any feedback as well. And please, you know, follow us on our Instagram and Facebook. I mean, I'm sure if you're already listening to the podcast, you're already on our Instagram or our Twitter. You know, we don't really do much Facebook stuff. But, uh, you know, tell, please tell a friend. Uh, share it. Tag this post. Share this post uh, episode with people on your, your socials. Would love that. Uh, you can repost from our Instagram account. You can take some of the quotes. Uh, that's what it's there for. Please, you know, share it around. If this is something that you think is valuable to yourself and you think it's valuable to other people you know, share it. We want to keep growing this community. Again, with this new project, we hope that this community will just get popping real fast. But you know, for now, you know, I appreciate, I appreciate any shares. Uh, we are, the whole team is doing a lot of work and we want to help everybody who gets on the interviewed on this podcast to get more uh, of their voice out there because, you know, the more times that we're able to speak up and do things about the industry, then that's the, that's the way the industry changes. So that's it for now. Thanks again for listening to the episode and I hope you all have a great week. Take care.